0: Welcome to the audio channel of the Reverend Dr. C.H.E. Sadoffel. His purpose is to preach Christ, teach the Bible, and make disciples. Now let us open our Bibles and our hearts as we listen to him proclaim the Word of God. Church, I would invite the congregation to stand And please turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. As we will first pray and then read the word of God. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee, the word is a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen His servant to deliver a word of truth, so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. The NASB says Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate." Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Please be seated. So, church, the Bible is loaded with fascinating questions. Questions that pierce you. Questions that get down deep inside of your soul and make you seriously contemplate not only yourself, not only the world around you, but probe you to ask ultimate questions. Questions that nudge you to reflect upon yourself and to reflect upon your relationship with your Maker. The Bible is loaded with fascinating questions such as How long will you waver between two opinions? With questions such as Where can I flee from your presence? Questions such as, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But the question I want to draw your attention to this morning is a very special question because it's a first. It's the first question that God asks to humanity, and more specifically, It's the first question that God asked to a sinner. And that question God asked to Adam in Genesis 3, 9, when he asked him, where are you? Now, we're going to get to the question. We're going to get to Genesis 3, 9, but before we get there, let's take a step back. Let's make sure we understand the context and all the forces at play when God asks this question. The Bible begins in Genesis 1-1 by saying, in the beginning God, which tells us in the beginning all there was was God and no one else. So the Bible in the very beginning starts with God and God alone which tells us that you and I cannot understand life. We cannot understand the world. We cannot understand why I am the way that I am, and we cannot understand why the world is the way that it is unless we realize that in the beginning, God, at the back of everything is God, and it always comes back to God Almighty. So Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God. Then what happens? Genesis chapter 1 and 2 God makes everything. He makes the cosmos, He makes the earth, He makes the sea, He makes creepy crawlers, He makes four legged beasts, and then He makes our first parents, Adam and Eve. And He puts Adam and Eve in paradise. He puts them in a place without scarcity, without want, where Adam and Eve needed nothing. In the beginning, God said first, he sent forth his word, and then he backed up his word by doing, by providing our first parents with everything they could possibly ever want. And God, being a God who freely loves us, he wanted Adam and Eve's obedience to him to be real. So in order for their obedience to him to be real, disobedience had to be a possibility. So God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, you may eat of anything in the Garden, but the one thing you ought not to do is eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then Genesis chapter 3 hits, and now here comes the serpent. The serpent, or the devil in disguise, began asking questions. And what the serpent did is he nudged Adam and Eve to begin doubting God. He nudged Adam and Eve to doubt that God was all-powerful. He nudged Adam and Eve to doubt that God was trustworthy. And he nudged Adam and Eve to doubt that God was good. And the irony is, God backed up everything by giving Adam and Eve everything. He gave them the earth. He gave them life. He gave them a garden. What the serpent now did is he nudged Adam and Eve to doubt, but he didn't promise them anything. He didn't have any proof. He never backed his suggestions up. All the serpent did was offer Adam and Eve a possibility, a potentiality. But what God had already done was real in actual, real life. So the only thing the serpent did is he nudged Adam and Eve to change their attitude or their perception of God to doubt him. And Adam and Eve took the bait. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, they both ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Sin entered into reality and the result was the fall of humankind. Then verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Naked comes from a root in Hebrew that does mean lacking clothing. That does mean being bare-skinned. But naked also means feeling shame, Or experiencing the feelings of destitute naked means that Adam and Eve immediately after they sinned were now conscious that something was missing they were now conscious that they now lacked something which they now were deficient in compared to what they had before Genesis 3 6 Adam and Eve sin and immediate after in verse 7 they knew that they were naked, that something was missing. That nakedness was experienced biologically, naturally, where their bodies felt bare. That nakedness was experienced psychologically, where they now had feelings of shame and guilt. That nakedness was experienced spiritually, where a glory that that was once there was now gone. Adam and Eve, feeling naked, told them that something now is wrong. And this register in our minds that something is missing, this experience of nakedness is a reality still going on today. Because when people sin, they feel naked. And when they feel naked, they try to cover their nakedness up. And what was it that Adam and Eve resorted to? They resorted to fig leaves. Now Jesus talks about fig leaves in Matthew 21, verses 18 to 19. A fig plant makes figs, which is the fruit, and fig leaves. So if all you have is fig leaves, that tells you something. That tells you something is missing. Because what's really worthwhile, what's really valuable, is the thing that gives you nourishment, which is the figs. And fig leaves are something light. Fig leaves are something flaky. Fig leaves are something airy that provide no protection. So if you are naked, Fig leaves cannot cover you. The rest of verse 7 says, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And the fact of the matter is, the world is still desperately trying to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. If it rains, do you know what cannot keep you dry? Fig leaves. If a bear tries to bite you, what will not protect you? Fig leaves. If it's cold outside, what won't keep you warm? Fig leaves. Fig leaves are not durable, and they are a possibly covering for the human body. And just in case you thought I was only talking about literal fig leaves, we still try to use symbolic fig leaves today. We try to use busyness. We try to use cultural reforms, politics, economics, even knowledge. But is it not foolish, beloved, to try and cover ourselves with fig leaves? Fig leaves can never cover whatever it is you are hiding from God, and it can never cover what you are ashamed of, because something material can never protect you from a supernatural God. Verse 8 says, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden." This doesn't make any sense. God is the sovereign creator of everything. God is as much in between the trees, in front of the trees, behind the trees, on top of the trees, and beneath the trees. He's the same everywhere all the time. So could Adam and Eve hide from God anywhere? They couldn't so hiding in between the trees or behind them doesn't make any sense and this is exactly what sin does it drives you to do things that are unreasonable and illogical because the only thing that makes sense about sin is that it doesn't make any sense and it compels a person to believe they can hide from God behind a tree with fig leaves. Now we're about to ask the central question of this morning's sermon. When God asks Adam, where are you? And just in case you thought this was just a story about our first parents, Adam and Eve, The story, the true historical narrative in Genesis 3 is your autobiography. It is my autobiography. The person I am talking about this morning is you. Because whenever we trust in something other than God, whenever we put our faith in any object other than our Creator, The result is that we believe the lie, we immediately feel deficient, we immediately feel ashamed, we resort to fig leaves and run to hide behind the trees. If you've ever wanted to know what the anatomy of sin looks like in the life of every human being that's ever committed a sin, it's right here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. It begins by doubting God. It begins by not trusting him and trusting in the lie instead of God. And that drives us in our nakedness into the forest. And what was God's response? How does God now begin dealing with the sin problem? Does he send down a lightning bolt and wipe out the garden? No. Does he shrug his shoulders and say, never mind, to humanity? No. God descends from his heavenly realm and walks in the garden of the cool of the day. And what God now does is he begins dealing with the sin problem by asking Adam a question. Where are you? God speaks to Adam and Eve. He wants to get to the bottom of this. He wants now to inquire so that we can understand and learn something, that we can reflect upon where we are naked, hiding behind the trees. And at the end of Genesis chapter 3, we find out that God ends up providing for Adam and Eve by sacrificing an animal and covering them, telling us what? That God is good, that the serpent was lying. God gives Adam and Eve a promise of one who will come who will crush the head of the serpent. God therefore reinforces the idea that he is good in providing for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve do in fact die, which tells us God was telling the truth. God really was trustworthy and the serpent was lying. And the one who judged the serpent was God. The serpent didn't judge God. God reinforced the idea again that the one who is all-powerful is he and he alone. Everything that the serpent said was proven to be not true by the end of Genesis chapter 3. So in verse 9, God calls to Adam and says, Adam... Where are you? The sinner did not find God. God is the one who found the sinner. And he did not come. He did not descend into the garden to destroy. He did not descend into the garden to condemn. He came into the garden to have a conversation. And now here's the question that I am asking you this morning. Where are you? Where is your mind right now? What are you thinking about at this very second? What is it that you desire the most in life right now? Where are you in your relationship with God right now? Where are you? Are you naked? Are you ashamed? Are you covered in fig leaves? Are you hiding behind a tree? Why? How did you get there? Where are you? How long have you been hiding? How long have you been naked? Where are you? How long have you been building a treasure on earth and not building a treasure in heaven? Where are you? Where were you when you heard the lie? How has that lie worked out for you? Where are you? Who told you that God is unkind? Who told you that God is unwilling to forgive? Who told you that God is unable to pardon? Did the serpent tell you that? Look where you are, naked in the forest hiding. Where are you? Who told you, beloved, that one must find God, that one must prepare themselves before coming face-to-face with the Almighty? Because the text tells us that God descended to find the sinner, not the other way around. Where are you? The first question that God asked a sinner was where are you? And here's the first application this question is asked for our benefit. God doesn't need to ask any questions. He asks the question so that you and I can learn something, so you and I can reflect, so you and I can discern why things are the way that they are. God never needed to speak to humanity. The reason why we have God's word, the reason why God reveals anything to us is a function of his gracious favor. So when God asks the question, where are you, it's asked for our benefit. This is the voice of a shepherd crying out to a sheep, who has left the fold and who has now gone astray, and the shepherd wants to know where his sheep is. Where are you? The question, where are you, finds you. It locates you. God doesn't ask the question for it not to be effectual. The question, where are you, intends to find its object. God asks Adam the question because he knows Adam was where he ought not to be. And he wants to know, Adam, what are you doing there? Now come out. The question God asks humanity today is why are you in the place in which you are? Where are you? Now come out. Come out from where you are and ask yourself, where are you? Eternity matters more than the present, so why ought we to worry so much about where we are right now? God wants to know, where are you? Have you ever left the sermon and said, that was for me? Have you ever left the sermon and said the preacher must have been on my shoulder the entire week and knew exactly what's going on in my life well guess what that sermon was for you because as martin lloyd jones used to say the human condition is human god reveals god asks questions to speak to the human condition. That sermon was for you because God gives us his word for our benefit. In fact, if you've ever left a sermon and said, that wasn't for me, that had nothing in it for me, those are the sermons that apply to you the most. And that's when you go over and over and over and take more notes until it clicks, until you realize that God reveals and God asks the question, where are you so we can find you? Is the message from the Bible, amen, then the message is for you. Is the preacher preaching about hell? It's for you. About heaven? It's for you. About wrath? It's for you. About grace? It's for you. So the question, where are you? Finds you exactly where you are. The question found Adam hiding in the trees. It moved, it navigated through the thicket of the branches, and it was only three words. But that question spoke. Volumes and found Adam exactly where he was. It nudged Adam to face himself. It nudged Adam to face his thoughts. It nudged Adam to face his imaginations, his desires. And it nudged Adam to reflect on the fact that he was hiding in the forest, naked and ashamed, covered in fig leaves. Beloved... The Bible talks about a real Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for real sin, who died on a cross so real you could have gotten a splinter on it. And when God asks the question, where are you, he's imploring his people to be real, to be Honest and to be real with God and ask ourselves the question, where are you? Come out from that hiding place. If you are lost, face the fact that you are lost. Ask, where are you? And heed the voice of God. The question, where are you, locates you where you were. If Adam reflected upon where he was in the present, the next thing he would now do is discern, consider where he was. In other words, how he got there. If Adam reflected and realized he was naked and ashamed in the forest, he would now remember. He would now go back to the conversation he had with the serpent. He would now realize everything the serpent said was a lie and simply wasn't worth it when Adam reflected on where he was. He could have thought to the day before Genesis 3 happened. He could have thought about the day when God descended into the garden and said, Adam, where are you? And he wasn't naked. He had no shame. And he could have freely come out and said, Yes, Lord, here I am. And walked hand in hand with his maker in the cool of the day. Did the promises of sin meet your expectations? Sin told you that you would be like God. Did it fulfill that promise? What has sin done for anyone lately? In every case, over and over and over again, sin has proven to be an abominable, wretched liar. Church, even people who don't know God, even people who have never opened the Bible, have God's Word, have God's sense of morality written on their consciousness. So even when people who don't know God go headfirst into sin, guess what? Even they know that something's wrong. Even they know that something is missing. Even they know when they delight and live a life full of sin, it all comes back to God. And the only one that can fill in that void of something being missing is God himself. Because it always comes back to God, and in the beginning, God. What has sin done for anyone lately other than lie to us, other than drive us naked and ashamed into the forest? Nothing. When we ask the converse question now, what has Jesus Christ done for us lately? The list is always infinite. The list is always thousands and thousands of pages long. But at the top of that list, number one, What has Christ done for me? What has Christ done for you lately? Is he took your place on the cross. God not only said, he did. And the question, where are you, locates you where you were. Fourth application the question where are you is personal everyone that's ever been born between now and eternity future there are few guarantees in life death taxes there's actually a third guarantee everyone is guaranteed a personal private one-on-one sit down with god Everyone, it's a Bible fact. Some point between now and eternity future, it is going to happen. And do you know what question God is going to ask us when we have that sit down? He's going to ask the question Where are you? And in him asking the question now, when we ask ourselves that question now, we're preparing ourselves, we're getting ourselves geared up for that personal, private, one-on-one interview. People talk about having trials, ups and downs in life. The reality is this, all of life is a test. From the moment you are born to the moment you close your eyes for the last time, all of life is a test. We're being examined right now. And the teacher is God himself. And he's asking the question in his word, in sermons, in providence, through individuals, through happenings of the world. He's asking us continually, where are you? And there's only one way, beloved, to pass the test. There's only one way to get a P mark on your exam paper in eternity. And that is only if when God asks, where are you, you can be able to say, I am in Jesus Christ. The question where are you is personal and no one can take your exam for you. And asking ourselves the question now will spare us from having it asked for the first time when we have our sit-down interview with God Almighty. The question where are you demands an answer. God doesn't ask the question to hear himself speak. He asks it to get an answer. And guess what? Silence counts as an answer. So if you don't have an answer, that counts. In a court of law, people can plead the fifth. People can say I refuse to answer that question because I may incriminate myself. But because the question where are you demands an answer, the path to answering the question correctly is actually to incriminate yourself. Is actually to say when God asks you where are you, you say Lord. I am naked. I am ashamed. I believe the lie. I listen to the serpent, and I now see where the lie got me. I am helpless. I am hopeless. I realize the only thing in this world that I ever created was my own sin. I realize, oh Lord, that I need help lord i am a sinner and i take full responsibility for the sin that i actively committed in trusting in something that was not you lord help me i am guilty please save me and then you know what god does he pardons you he saves you he forgives you because incriminating of the self is the path is the gateway for the grace and forgiveness of God because Jesus Christ did not come into this world to save perfect people. He came to save sinners. Which leads to the next application. The question, where are you, reveals the grace of God. We in present day can say things like a little white lie, but in God's eyes of holiness, there are no little sins and there are no colors to sin. All sin, even a drop, one molecule of sin, is cosmic treason in the eyes of God. And But even though sin is turning one's back and spitting in God's face, He descended into the garden to talk to the sinners about what they did. And God leaves Adam and Eve that day in the garden with a promise that a seed would be born of the woman who would ultimately crush the serpent. So implied in that promise then is not only God's grace now, but also God's grace to watch over preserve and protect that seed in perpetuity and as you and i now are spiritual seeds spiritual sons and daughters in jesus christ when he asks the question where are you and we respond to god by his grace he not only allows us to respond to the question by his grace but he also promises to keep hedge protection around us throughout our lives. That through Christ, we will now have a restored, harmonious relationship with our loving Father. I'll close by saying this. At the end of Genesis chapter three, the serpent was never asked a question. The serpent was never put on trial. The serpent was simply judged. But God showed grace to Adam and Eve when he asked the question, Where are you? It all comes back to God. So the question we must ask ourselves going home today is, Where are you? If we don't ask ourselves this question now, God will ask the question later on. Now, someone may be saying, preacher, you don't know my story. Preacher, you don't know what's happened to me in specific specific terms in the life that I've lived. And I'll agree with you. I don't know your story. I don't know the specifics about what has happened in your life. But what I do know is that God came to save you. And when you put your sin up against the blood of Jesus Christ, that sin doesn't stand a chance. There never was a sinner so bad that Jesus Christ couldn't save them. Where are you? The final closing application of this is this when we are in Jesus Christ and God asks us where are you Jesus Christ now steps in and answers that question for us and he says there with me he says there in me and now instead of being naked and ashamed covered with fig leaves now we are covered in the pristine perfect white robes of christ's righteousness and now when god the father looks at us they see his perfect life and obedience in all of his spiritual sons and daughters so now when god asks us where are you There is no shame, there is no guilt, we can now say, yes, Lord, here I am, and step out of hiding and walk hand in hand with the God who descended to have a relationship with us, with the God who came down seeking sinners to save, where now there is no longer nakedness, Now there is the covering of Christ. Now there is joy, peace, satisfaction. Now there is nothing missing, but there is an eternal well of grace upon grace in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for descending into our realm. We thank you for being the one who found us. Because we know, O Lord, if it was left up to ourselves, we would not seek you. And we would hide, O Lord, in the trees forever and ever. But it is by your grace that you descended onto our level and ask us the question each and every moment of every day, where are you? And we treasure your words now, Lord, knowing that no matter where we are in this world, no matter where we are in this life, that question is relevant to us. And we know you ask the question that we may learn, that we may understand, that we may draw closer to you. Lord, I pray that for those who do not know you, you use this question to turn their hearts and bring them into a saving relationship with Christ. And for those who already know you, you sanctify them, O Lord, and draw them even closer, that they will know the joy and they will know the full contentment in Christ Jesus in which each and every day is an experience of overflowing contentment where nothing is ever missing where there is no shame, where where there is no condemnation, but there is life and liberty with the eternal well of God, to dwell with whom is an experience of grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. grace. Lord Jesus, we love you and we delight in you and thank you for your timeless sacrifice. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. We do hope that you have been enriched and equipped by the preaching of Dr. Sadoffel. For more valuable resources, please visit wcsk.org. Until next time, peace be with you, and to God be the glory forever.